It's Wednesday, January 6, 2021. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, last week we opened with the Eagles being put out of their misery. Well, this week, let's say they put the fans out of their misery with that Sunday night debacle. On a better note, the Sixers rolled through the week 3-0 and to move to 6-1 on the season. The Flyers are in camp with some familiar names in Oscar Lindblom and Nolan Patrick. And yes, ah, spring training just around the corner. Well, first, Bill, Happy New Year, and congrats on uh, getting the year right in your open. It is indeed 2021, thankfully. We can now truly say hindsight is 2020. Sorry, yeah, absolutely. I knew you had to do that, but you know what? It's a good thing because uh, I don't think anybody is not happy that 2020 is not in the rearview mirror. Yeah, you got, you, you got that right. Some crazy stuff going on in the world today uh, or in the country today. And you know what, Chet? For the next hour, we're going to forget about it. We're going yes, to talk we are. sports. We're going to talk about the Sixers having the best record in the NBA, one-tenth of the way into the season anyway. The Flyers drop the puck next week. And, uh, oh, yeah, the Eagles. Although they have no more games, Bill, they've certainly given us plenty of things to talk about heading into this <laughs> offseason. Yes, they have. we got a couple great guests tonight in Hall of Famer Ray Rudy Dittinger to talk <laughs> Eagles and Wall Street Journal sports writer Rachel Bachman who's going to discuss the college football playoff system, Chet, why it always seems that the same schools are always involved in the playoffs, and that's certainly going to be interesting. Yeah, Rachel is great. Stick around for that, everyone. But let's get to our Hall of Famer first, Bill. We haven't talked to him since last July 29th, incredibly. Well, with that, let's welcome Rudy. I mean, I mean Ray. Ray Dininger back to Philly Press Box Radio. Ray, welcome as always. You made me laugh on Sunday night, post-game live with your Rudy comment. Let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, yeah, the smiles were in short supply on <laughs> Sunday night. So I felt like it was sort of a, I felt like I was doing a public service by, uh, by let, giving people a little bit of a laugh there. Yeah, actually, the, 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 the analogy, the comparison between the putting Nate Sudfeld into the game in the fourth quarter and the movie Rudy was just, it was it was just kind of right there. It was too it was too perfect not for me to mention, so I did. Well, Ray, I don't know where to begin, but for people watching us on video, I'm going to put up a picture, and uh, this is what it is. It's a picture of this season, how it ended, and a photo from three years ago. So, Ray, I got to ask you: Did they really win a Super Bowl just three seasons back, or did I imagine that? Sure. Sure feels like a lot. Sure feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? It does, um, man. Certainly feels like uh, uh, long ago and far away that we were all at the uh, Eakins Oval in the city, and Doug Peterson was announcing that this was the new normal. hadn't been quite that, has it? Uh, and no. uh, yeah, I mean, watching the introduction was, in some ways, um, in some ways. The Eagles winning the Super Bowl seems as far away as the Flyers Stanley Cup. I mean, those, those two <laughs> things seem to be almost equally distant past. Um, it's amazing how much things can change in just three years. Well, Ray, uh, we are what we are. You are what your record says you are. Um, 
how are we going to get out of this thing? Where do you start? Um, you know, we got we got the quarterback situation. You got contracts. You got salary caps. You got a draft coming. You got you got issues all over the board. Yeah, they're in, it's a mess. I mean, if you're an Eagles fan right now, I wish I could come on and offer you uh, a whole lot of rays of sunshine, but uh, <laughs> I can't. Uh, they're they're they I mean, they're they're in a real tough spot. Um, they have a, a not very good team, uh, an aging team, a team that's clearly breaking down. A uh, team that has some leadership issues, a team that has some chemistry issues, a team that has salary cap issues, and a team that has age issues. Uh, and um, it's all it's it's all come to a head. Uh, and um, somehow over these next six months or so, they have to figure it out before they go back to training camp and start uh, climbing their way back. Because I don't think, I mean, I, I know Eagles fans are by nature optimistic folks, and they, and they always think things will kind of work out. And uh, this team has, has been good more than it's been bad over the last 20 years. So people have a right to expect that. But um, I think the reality is that uh, this team's in trouble right now. Uh, and you, you look at where they are and the problems that they're facing. Um, I'd like to sit here and tell you that it can be a quick fix, but uh, I don't really believe that. I think they're, I think they're going to, right now, they are the number four team in the worst division in football. And um, I don't think it was a one-year blip. You know, I think that I think that kind of reflects exactly what they are. So, yeah, they have a lot of work to do. Well, Ray, I went on record last week as saying I thought both Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson should be fired. I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I just thought they should be. I mean, because, yeah, they won a Super Bowl three years ago, but they've had just one player drafted over the past five years make the Pro Bowl, and that's the quarterback who they want to ship out of town now, apparently, although they're not saying that. Almost every wide receiver that they've drafted has been either a bust or at least a disappointment. The misses, I think, greatly outnumber the hits. So why does Howie Roseman get to keep his job? Because Jeff Lurie owns the team. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's it. it. <laughs> uh, I mean, in a lot of organizations, there would be, there would, there would be a, a change. Um, I mean, I, I was, and, and nobody around the team, nobody even close, remotely close to the team, ever thought there was a chance in the world that Howie would be fired. It's just, you don't even think about that. Um, I mean, Jeffrey, as long as, as long as Jeff owns the team, how he's going to be part of the team. I mean, that's, that's obvious. Um, you know, but I, and I don't necessarily think, I don't necessarily say he has to go, but I certainly think if you look at this roster right now um, and you look at the last six drafts um, there, it's obvious that, that something has to change in that department, the scouting, the personnel, um, the drafting that has to change. Um, and if Howie's been, and, and none of us quite know the real chain of command in there. I mean, who's actually been calling the shots. I mean, Joe Douglas was in there for, for a good portion of it. Uh, and so he clearly had input. Andy Weidel, who is still there was part of it. Um, the coaches are in the room. Jeff is in the room. So, you know, who's the one that's pointing at the board and saying, we're taking him? Um, none of us are there, so none of us know. And, and nobody really tells you exactly. Although 
what we have what we have sort of inferred along the line is that Howie, it's Howie. You know, everybody kind of has their input. Everybody kind of has their say. Uh, you hope that there's a unanimous, yeah, that's our guy. Let's go get him. You hope that everybody's in agreement, but, and if they are, then it's easy. But if there's disagreement, then somebody's got to be the guy that breaks the tie and says, no, we're taking him. Um, and from everything we've heard, and no one's ever denied it, sounds like that guy's Howie. Um, and if you look at the roster the way it is now, and you look at the drafts, I mean, no team in the league, no team in the league has drafted worse than the Eagles have in the last six years. That's simple fact. Um, so if that's the if that's the reality of it, then if you're running the organization, you got to say we got to change. Um, and if Howie's going to stay, and we all accept the fact that Howie's going to stay, then you got to somehow redefine his role so that if he's indeed been the guy picking the players, that there's other people in there that have that can do it for him. Um, if just look, I mean, just this past week uh, in Denver, the Denver Broncos are now a team, it's hard to believe it in the NFL, that the Denver Broncos are irrelevant, but they have been irrelevant now for about four or five years. I mean, you don't even think about the Broncos anymore. And it used to be, you, you never thought about having the playoffs without them, you know? Well, now they're, they're an irrelevancy. And John Elway has been the president and basically head of football operations there for several years. And this week, John Elway said, you know what? I got to go get a general manager, you know, because I've been the guy picking the players. I've been the guy running things around here. And we haven't sniffed the playoffs in five years. So I'm, I'm, stepping, I'm stepping away. And we're going to, I'm going to go hire a general manager. We're going to rebuild our personnel department. Seems to me that if John Elway can step away from, <laughs> from pick running the draft, Howie Roseman can, okay? If John, El, if John Elway is willing to say, no, this isn't for me. I'm going to go get somebody who's really good at this. If John Elway is willing to do that, I mean, maybe it's time that Howie does the same thing. Hey, Ray, I wanted to ask you about the offensive line. You know, you mentioned health issues and you mentioned getting old. Uh, but, you know, they have Malata and Samala and Kelsey and Brooks and Johnson. If they're healthy, uh, that's that's a pretty good offensive line, I think. They're getting a little, little old. You know, Carson Wentz got just battered all season long, and I've never seen an offensive line where they changed them every week of the season. Uh it, it, do you stay away from that in the draft and hope you can get these guys back together and go get skill position players like wide receivers that don't seem to ever be able to get open either? So where do you start? I almost, I, I almost think you have so many holes hmm. and so many weaknesses that you just pick the best player on your board. Whoever's the best, whoever's the highest graded player you got, take them because I guarantee it. He, he can play. I mean, you have holes everywhere. You got, I mean, you, you can draft anybody anywhere. And if he's a good player, he can play on this team because you need him. The secondary clearly needs help. They don't have a linebacker. Okay. So, I, I mean, anybody, you know, any linebacker you pick can start for this team because right now they don't have any. Um, Although Singleton line, came on. I like Alex Singleton a bit. Yeah, I mean, he's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm talking about a linebacker who's an impact guy. Right. You know, I'm talking about a linebacker who makes plays to change games. 
you know, Singleton's, a, a, you know, he's a, he's a good scrappy kid who, you know, is a good special teams player, um, you know, who'll, you know, he'll make 12 tackles a game. The only trouble is they're eight yards down the field. You know, I mean, you, I mean, you need guys, you need guys at that position. And you look around, watch the teams this weekend, the teams that are playing. Look at the linebackers that are going to be playing this weekend. They're game changers. They're guys that make plays to change games. That's, you know, that's what this team has. I mean, they have, they have this policy that now nah, we don't, yeah, we don't need that. Um, well, look, the good teams have them. Uh, and maybe it's time that you rethink the idea that linebackers don't matter. Um, the offensive line, you know, I just, I just wonder about, I, I, you know, Brooks and Lane Johnson a couple of years ago were the best right side of the offensive line in all of football. Hmm. Right now, they're older guys that clearly are breaking down. Uh, and I don't know that, you know, I mean, it's, it's all well and good to say, well, get them back this year. And if they stay healthy, I don't know that you can count on that anymore. You know, they're not going anywhere. I mean, they're under contract, but can you really count on them coming back and being the Brooks and Johnson of 2017? I don't know. Um, there seems to be a very strong feeling, uh, that Kelsey is not coming back, that this is it for him. Uh, wouldn't shock me. He's 33, just had a baby. The guy could walk off the football field now and step into any TV or radio studio in America and have a job in five minutes. So, um, I mean, he always goes through this self-evaluation at the end of the season. Do I really want to keep putting myself through this, which I fully understand. I kind of have a feeling that this might be the year that he just says, I think I've had it. Um, if he does, that is a huge loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got Sayamalu, who's he's Sayamalu. And then at left tackle, I think the one guy that, that really you might have something is Mylata. I think he actually might be a pretty decent player. He's not there yet. I mean, he needs more work, but I think he could. I think he could be either a left or a right tackle in this league. I think he could do it. I mean, he's he's made enough progress and he's played well enough when he's had the chance to play this year that I think I think you might have something in him. Dillard, I don't know. Uh, we haven't seen that much of him. And frankly, what we've seen hasn't been all that promising. But um, I mean, he's you know he's a first round pick. He's still under contract. He'll get an opportunity. But you know, I, I worry about I you know I worry about if, is Kelsey coming back? I think it's no better than 50-50. And Brooks and Johnson will be part of this. I mean, they're coming back, uh, but I don't know that they're at a point in their career where you can count on them. You know, it'd be great if they could, but I just don't know if you can count on them. Right. We we are 13 or 14 minutes in. We haven't even talked about the quarterback mess yet. Um, Carson Wentz, of course, did not have a good year, lost his job late in the season. Uh, don't know if he's coming back. He hasn't spoken yet, which kind of leads me to believe that he really does want to trade out of town. How do you see this playing out? Can Carson Wentz stick around and be fixed? Will they compete for the job? How's this all going to play out? I don't know. Very mixed messages right now. I mean, uh, <clears throat> you have, you know, Doug, Doug coming out and saying, you know, I want to. I want to work Carson Wentz. We want to fix him. We want to get him back to being the Carson Wentz what he was, you know, 2017, 2018. Um, I mean, Doug keeps talking about bringing him back. There's no problem between the two of us. No issues. Um, so that's Doug's version of it. Um, you have these reports now that over a period of two weeks that have come out uh, that Carson Wentz wants out. That he feels that uh, his relationship with the coaching staff is fractured. Don't really understand that, but okay, that's what he says. 
Uh, he hasn't, he himself uh, has not spoken, was given the opportunity on Monday's clear out day at the locker room. If the press said, can we talk to him? The, the team's PR guy went to him. He said, no. Um, so to me, um, I, if, if he wanted to shoot down these reports that he wants out, he had ample opportunity to do it. I mean, for, yeah. he had two, those reports are out there for two weeks. And all he would have to do, he didn't have to do a press conference, just send out a tweet and say, I don't know where this stuff's coming from. No, no, I'm a Philadelphia Eagle. I'm going to come back and I'm going to win this job. And you watch me. If, if, if he wanted to say it, he could have gotten it out there. If he wanted to do a press conference and go on camera and shoot it down, he could have on Monday. Hasn't done any of that. So that tells me, yeah, I think it's true. Uh, I think he and his people have decided I'd be better off getting a fresh, clean start elsewhere. Um, if it were me, uh, if I were calling the shots down there, I would bring him back. Uh, I, I would bring him back and I'd have him compete with Hertz next summer and may the best man win. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I always thought that pro football was about competition and, uh, guys fighting for jobs. And I've always been an old fashioned concept here, but I always thought competition made people better. Uh, and I would give, and, and I would, and I, I know that after what he went through this year, that Wentz is going to be incredibly motivated this offseason to come back next year and prove everybody wrong. Uh, well, if he's going to prove that somewhere, I'd rather have him prove it here than in Indianapolis. So right. I wouldn't be in any great rush to move him on um, because, frankly, I mean, Jalen Hurts, we got four games. You know, there's been good, but it's not so good, okay, if you want to be honest about it. So as I mean, everybody seems prepared to just anoint him as number one and okay, he's our guy. I don't know. I'm not so sure I'm there yet. I would rather bring Wentz back, bring Hertz in, let him, you know, let him fight it out in training camp next year. And hopefully you come, but September rolls around, you got yourself a quarterback. But it seems to me the sense of it that I get, as I said, my, that'd be my preference to bring him back and let them compete. But I'm getting the feeling that he would rather not be here. Uh, and I think the organization has decided, you know what? I think we're moving on. You know, the contract is a killer. Uh, the, the, dead, the dead money against the salary cap is, is brutal. Uh, but I think they're prepared to work around that, just bite the bullet for a year and uh, go in another direction. I think that's how it's going to play out. Well, Ray, and it's funny, that's exactly where I was going to go with the whole uh, the whole Hurts situation. Uh, I don't feel like he played any better than Wentz did, less his legs. You know, his, his legs saved him a little bit where, where uh, – Wentz was taking sacks. Uh, Hertz was able to escape a little bit and create a little bit of something. He wasn't good. And and actually, I'm a, I'm a Hertz fan from college, and I'm a Wentz fan from the Eagles too. But uh, I, I'm not ready to give Hertz anything. I, I don't think he – if we started camp today, I couldn't say he'd be my starter. Um, no, but I think that there's a lot of people – there's a lot of people in the city, and I think there are a lot of people in the building down there that – that are ready to do that. Um, you know, it, it concerns me. Look, he played four and a half games. He won one of them. Uh, it concerns me that with each progressive week, it seemed like he got worse. Mm -hmm. That the more teams had film on him, the more teams that could prepare for him, that he wasn't a mystery. The more of him that was out there, it seems like did a better job of playing against him and it got harder for him to, to do what he was doing. Well, if you're already seeing that in four weeks, what are you going to get in the whole season? Okay. Um, I, 
you know, I liked him in college. Uh, I did. Uh, he, he won a ton of games. Uh, and he has some ability. He can certainly move around. Uh, and he does have he does have a good awareness in the pocket. He does he does feel things around him. But I think he's got a long way to go as a passer. I mean, I felt that in college, and I think you saw that again this year. He completed 52% of his passes in a league where great quarterbacks are completing 70. So, um, I, I mean, I, I think there's something there, but I think it's very unpolished and still pretty raw. And the idea that this organization seems so willing to just give him the job at the start of next season, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, I know they want that to be the case. I'm just not so sure that's the reality. Hey, Ray, had Zach Ertz not gotten injured this year, he would have surpassed Harold Carmichael atop the list of most receptions by an Eagle. We we're all pretty much sure that Ertz will not be back next year. What is Zach Ertz's legacy in Philadelphia? Um, I just did a, a piece that's going to be on the uh, NBC website uh, in a couple of days, uh, which was kind of a, a farewell to Zach yeah. Ertz. Because uh, I think that um, the image of him sitting on the bench alone at the end of the game um, was maybe the, the single image I'm going to take away from this awful year. I mean, there, there's very little about this year that I want to remember. <laughs> Basically nothing almost. Yeah. But, um, but that image of him sitting there alone in the rain in that empty stadium, um, alone with his thoughts, um, I, I thought that was very poignant. Uh, and uh, and I think it, it, it you know, it, it was clear it, this was a guy who wasn't yet ready to let go. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, in a league where it's a, there's, there's a whole mercenary mentality in this league. The guys jump from team to team to team to team and don't think twice about it. You know, okay, I'll play for you this year, but I'll play for him next year. There aren't many guys that make that kind of emotional investment in a team, in a community. Uh, and, and he did. And he did. Um, and I know because I did a number of charity things with him this year and I saw the way he co connected with people. Um, I mean, he's just a, he's a he's a good dude. He really is. And um, and this idea that he, you know, people criticize him that he wasn't tough. Uh, he didn't get yards after the catch. Look, this, this is a guy that last year when they were going to the playoffs, had a lacerated kidney and a cracked rib and he put a pad on it, got shot up and went out and played. Um, that's tough enough for me. Uh, right. If if you look at his production over time, um, I mean, he you're quite right, Chad. I mean, if he had if he had not gotten injured this year, he would have surpassed Harold yep. Carmichael uh, and been the all time leading receiver on this team. But still, I mean, if you look back, he still has the record for catches by a tight end, 116. It's the record for most receptions in a season by an Eagle. And if you look back over the seven biggest receiving games in the history of the franchise, um, Zach Ertz has four of those seven, uh, the top receiving performances. So, I mean, he was, a, he was not just a good player. He was a great player for this team for a long time. Uh, and more than just that, I think he was a great representative for the team and the community. So, um, you know, this team needs more Zach Ertz is not less. Hmm. And, and the sight of him, uh, just sort of letting that all sink in Sunday night and then walking off the field in that empty stadium. Um, that was, you know, told you a lot about, uh, about Zach Ertz. And, you know, I agree with you guys and you saw at his press conference the next day when he broke down talking about Philadelphia and there's no place I'd rather play. I believe that. Mm -hmm. I mean, for some guys you get the feeling, Oh, he's just saying that. Um, 
I know Zach Ertz well enough to know that he believes that. And look, he wants to keep playing, but he would rather, you know, he 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 loves he likes football, but he loves being an Eagle. Uh, and uh, and the fact that he's going to play somewhere else next year, I wish him well. Uh, I mean, I hope he plays several more years and you know has great success. But I'm going to miss not having him here in Philadelphia. Well, Ray, speaking of wishing well, it looks like we're going to be wishing Jim Schwartz well. Uh, where do they go defensively? That goes back to that linebacker discussion earlier. Now maybe we have a coordinator that actually believes they need linebackers. Um, you, you, If you get somebody in with a completely different mentality, now you have to retool that defense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where, where are they going to go? Any, uh, any crystal ball on where they might uh, find their D.C.? Um, NBC Sports Philadelphia, Seth Joyner, give him a call. Um, I, uh, Michael, Michael Barkamp threw it out at the end of the postgame show on Sunday. He said, uh, he was like half joking, but he said, uh, Seth Joyner, if the Eagles called you up and offered you a job as a coach, would you take it? He said, yep. Uh, so I, look, I don't know if you, if you take him out of the studio and you make him the DC, but I would certainly hire him and make him a linebacker coach. Um, because one of the things that, look, Schwartz, yeah, it was time for Schwartz to go. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, the last six games this year, quarterbacks completed over 70% of their passes. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're, and their defense, which had been pretty good against the run, was very porous against the run this year. So defensively, they, they just weren't much. And they needed a new philosophy. I thought his, I thought his approach had gotten stale. Um, but one of the things that, that I, I feel about their defense is it doesn't have um, an identity. It doesn't have a personality. I mean, you think about the the Jim Johnson defenses, they had it. The Buddy Ryan defenses, they had it. Uh, Marion Campbell's defenses, you know, Bill Berge, those guys. I mean, they, they brought it every Sunday. And, you know, Schwartz's defenses, even when they played well, you never got the feeling that this team was winning because of its defense. It was, you know, they were good enough to win some games, but you know, they were never a team where you thought that the defense could win you a game or that, that they could, or that the other team came into the stadium and they were worried about playing the Eagles defense. They don't have those kinds of players. They don't have that kind of identity or personality. Um, Seth Joyner would bring it. <laughs> uh, now you're talking about him becoming a linebacker coach for a team that has no linebackers. <laughs> I think that could be a problem. Uh, but I think, you know, if if you were to commit to him, and I'm I'm quite serious when I say this, I think he could be a very good coach. I really do. I mean, I've sat next to him now for years and watched games with him, and I I see how keen his observations are and how quickly he picks up on things and how he can immediately dissect and synthesize what he's seen and say that's not right. They have to do this, this, and this. And he's 100% correct. And he does it on the fly. He's sharp. He was a great player, but he also thinks the game really well. Um, I He could do it. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that he could do it. But one of the things is, I'm, I'm sure knowing Seth, who tells you exactly what he thinks every minute of the day, that he would go in and say, look, you know, you want to hire me as a linebacker? A coach, that's fine. Um, but you got to let me go out and get me some players, okay? I'm not going in next year with, with Duke Riley. You know, I'm not going in next year with <laughs> – my mic is TJ Edwards. Sorry. No, I'm a good, I can be a good coach, but I need some, I need something to work with. You know, he would demand that kind of thing. Are they prepared to deal with that? I don't know. Uh, but in terms of Schwartz, 
Um, I thought, I kind of thought, look, there's got to be changes on the coaching staff. I didn't think Doug would be one of them. Um, they need to make some changes on the offensive side, but I certainly thought one of the guys that was going to go was Jim Schwartz. And I kind of think it was time. Ray, speaking of time, we are like pretty much out of time. We've kept you longer than usual or longer than we had expected anyway, but I had about 15 more questions for you. So how about I do this? I put you in a two minute drill. I give you four questions. You get about 15 seconds to answer each one. Okay. Okay. All right, here we go. Number one, how disappointed are you that Eric Allen is not a finalist for the hall of fame? Very. Uh, although I'm happy that he's in the conversation now, he made the ballot. Uh, he, he was in the discussion. So, um, I mean, he, his name will come up again. At least he's in the room now. I think, and I, I don't have any doubt that it'll stay in the room. And I think certainly he belongs and I think he will get there. Number two, I know you've been working on a book. I think it's finished. When's your uh, next book coming out? Uh, it will be coming out in the current schedule is April. Uh, it's done. It's written. Uh, it's in the hands of the editors and it should be out in, in April, May, right around that. It's called Finished Business. It's your 50 years covering the Eagles, right? It's my, well, my 50 years of just covering sports. Yeah. There you go. Um, number three, Sixers. Are you optimistic with what you've seen so far from Doc Rivers' team? Very much so. Very much so. Uh, and I, I think that uh, Daryl Morey is part of that, too. I mean, we're all talking about Doc, who's a terrific coach and certainly a, a big step up from what they had before. Uh, but I think having Morey running the operation, picking the players, uh, I think they've got this thing heading in the right direction. You know, and right now they got the best record in the NBA. Yeah, and so, you know, there'll be some bumps in the road. Sure. But, I mean, what you see is the team is coming together now. And uh, it looks to me like a team that when they get to the playoffs might actually be able to do something. And Ray, this is not really a question, but I just want to mention, uh, it's pretty cool to see you doing this Zoom type thing because I think I've heard you describe yourself as the poster boy for low-tech living. Is that right? That would be correct. <laughs> and, and, and if anything, it's an understatement. I, I, I know nothing about any of this stuff. I don't, I don't have the faintest idea how it works. Uh, the only reason I'm doing this is my wife hooked the whole thing up. She does it all. And then after it's all set up and ready to go, she says, okay, go sit in the chair. <laughs> Here I am. Uh, I so when, when, when I wrap up with you guys, I'll, I'll call to her. She'll come in and close out the, close out the window and I'll go about my life. But if it were up to me, if it were up to me, <laughs> you would have a blank screen there. Oh man, that's hey, great. Hey Ray, I have one more question that I just have to ask you if we have another minute. Uh, and I, and I know your opinion on these guys when we got them. Uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, Jalen Rager, did they miss on both these guys, and how did that happen? I know you were high on both of them. Uh, no, I, no, I wasn't high on Rager. I, oh, I, thought, not, I thought you I was, liked him. No, he liked Ortega-Whiteside. <laughs> I was not a Jalen Rager guy. Okay. Uh, um, Mark Mark Eckel, your buddy, uh, he liked him. We yeah, had, he did. We had a big disagreement on that. I was a Jefferson guy all the way. Um, I, 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 I didn't like Rager, frankly. And when they picked him, I, you know, I was like, well, was, oh no. Cause I, I mean, I, and I didn't talk to anybody at any NFL guy in the league that had, had him as a first round pick. I mean, the highest wow. anybody had him was the second round. I had him as a three. Some guys had him as a four. Um, so wow. I, I thought, I thought they way overdrafted him. Our single white side. Yeah. I, I, I missed that same as everybody else did. Uh, I saw him play a lot at Stanford, uh, and he was a good player. He, he was a really good college player. Uh, but he's, yeah, I mean, at this point, 
this is what he is. I don't think there's going to be any epiphany here. I don't think he's going to change. I think he's a bust. Uh, Rager to me looks like he's just sort of a guy, you know, whereas if they had drafted Jefferson, I mean, they would have had a star. And I think if you saw him play at LSU, you knew he was. I kind of feel the same way about Smith right now. I mean, I think that kid's a star. Um, but they had, I mean, how you can be looking for a receiver and have Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson up on the screen <laughs> and you take Rager, you know, if, if you're an organization that makes that decision and you're Jeff Lurie, you got to say, you know what? No, <laughs> no, we got to change. If you guys can, if you guys can swing and miss that badly on a choice that's that obvious, I got to get new eyes in here. And, mm. you know, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that they do that this year because they really, they, they need to get better players. We're talking about Jim Schwartz and the coaches, but they need, they need good coaches, but the coaches need players. And right now, they need to get better players, and that starts with scouting. Absolutely. All right, Ray. Well, we have taken up all your time and, and extra. We appreciate you coming by. As always, it's great. My pleasure. Always enjoy visiting with you guys. All right, Thanks, Ray. Ray. Thanks. Take, Take care. care now. Bye-bye. All right, Chet, let's talk insurance. If you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. All-state insurance in Westchester, PA. Indeed we do, Bill. One of the best benefits of having an all-state insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs. Someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Call Dave today at Allstate in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 610-430-0700. Once again, that number, 610 430 Oh, 700. And Bill, even though the Eagles season is over one more time, we're going to hear from our pal. Hi, football fans. This is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good. And you know, Chet, uh, listening to that never gets old, by the way. <laughs> good old Merrill uh boy disappointing year for him because he was expecting big things I know yeah well I tell you what Chet we are over our time and you know what we don't care because I can listen to Ray and talk with Ray for hours <laughs> on end we could have kept him till nine o'clock would have been fine with me he's so the best we're a little behind we're going to stay behind we might run over but we're going to do this thing and uh you know what because if not we are going to end up going back up to the TV and we don't want to watch that tonight because <laughs> that's for sure. There's nothing out there for us. So, you know, college football is right up at the top of my list of favorite sports. Uh, although this year certainly was different with the, you know, it didn't have that same buzz, but uh, it's certainly more clear now that it's a business. And so we saw that uh, throughout the country and all the different things going on, losing teams in bowl games, transfer portals, I mean, it's like a draft every week. Uh, guys' names are getting in the transfer portal. Players opting out. And then uh, the same team's always being in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, the fact that they were able to get some sort of a season in, at least, I think was a major accomplishment, a bit of a surprise to me. Albeit, yeah, as a season with cancellations and the players opting out, schedule changes on the fly. But uh, here we are into the playoffs with a couple of familiar teams heading to the title game, Bill. Yeah, and, you know, uh, there was some discussion about that when Notre Dame was selected, and uh, that didn't go well for the Fighting Irish, although the betters 
they covered for the betters. I guess that How about that. But uh, you had a chance to visit with Wall Street Journal sports writer Rachel Bachman about some of this. So tell us about that conversation with Rachel and uh, what's her take. Rachel covers sports for the Wall Street Journal, really knows her stuff. And I talked to her just a few days ago about one of the stories in the journal. Um, I did that for my real job, you know, my business radio job. And I thought, hmm, this would also make a good story for our little Philly Press Box radio show. So I asked her if that was okay. She said, absolutely. And let's get right to it. Here is our chat. College football's 14 playoff got underway last Friday with top-ranked Alabama defeating Notre Dame and then Justin Fields leading Ohio State to an upset of Clemson. With a few exceptions, it seems like two or three of those same teams are at the top of the college football heap pretty much every year. I talked to the Wall Street Journal's Rachel Bachman about why that's the case. You're absolutely right. In fact, all four of these teams have been to the playoff at least once before. Clemson and Alabama, I believe, have each been six times out of the seven years. So these teams are, are certainly used to being here, and their trips to the, the playoffs seem to be perpetuating more trips to the playoffs. Yeah, this is year seven of the college football playoff system. Only 11 programs have reached football's Final Four. In your piece, you say it comes down to money and recruiting. How so? Well, a really brief history lesson. So major college football is unusual among NCAA sports in that the NCAA actually does not run the championship for the sport. And so the, the championship format really evolved over time. Long story short, in the 1990s, a coalition of conferences got together and decided to actually hold a championship because there wasn't one before then. And this was called, it's evolved into the Bowl Championship Series, which was five bowls, one of which was the designated national title game. And they were really quite well promoted. Um, They did pretty well. And this gave essentially 10 teams every year a chance at bragging rights to get into one of these high-profile bowls. Now, what happened seven years ago was um, the same group formed a playoff, a four-team playoff. And um, what's happened since then is, you know, this is essentially a smaller pool of teams and the other bowls really are not promoted as well. Not all of them air in prime time as most of the BCS bowls did. And so there really is quite a drop off in attention, national conversation, and of course, exposure to prime recruits once you get out of the four team playoff. And that's what the other teams who are left out are suffering from now. If you don't get into the playoff, you really are not in the national conversation anymore. So these teams are getting more money from getting into the bigger bowl games, and that helps them recruiting, right? Yes, it's partly money, but it's also attention. You know, once the playoff was established, they had this, um, you know, the the rankings reveal every week on ESPN. Um, So there really is this preoccupation with who is in contention for the playoff. And, of course, there's only four spots. It's very difficult to get in. There are fewer and fewer teams who um, even have a chance toward the end of the season. And so those other teams, the also rans really just drop from the conversation. Whereas, um, you know, when there was a kind of a wider suite of really high profile bowls, there were, there were more teams in the conversation. So now what we're seeing is just this tiny pool of really elite teams. Of course, it helps to have good coaches. Uh, how much does coaching come into play as far as why these same teams are getting there every year? 
Well, that's been critical, especially at Alabama, where people forget that, you know, before Nick Saban arrived in 2007, Alabama, you know, for Alabama had been a little bit in the doldrums. So he really revitalized that program, brought back its absolute elite status. Same thing happened at Clemson, which didn't have as long a history as Alabama did, but it had won one national title before Dabo Swinney arrived. And, you know, both of those coaches are just top-notch. Obviously, they, they've had some wind at their back with some of the recruits they've landed. You know, same thing at Ohio State. Ohio State has had a string of really Hall of Fame-level coaches, which has coincided with this arrival of the playoff. And, you know, those things together, top coaches, top recruits, and this heightened exposure that the playoff has brought really have combined to keep these teams' streaks going. There's a lot of clamor for expanding the pool to at least eight teams. I'm sure unbeaten Cincinnati would vote yes to that. Any chance of the CFP folks expanding the playoff system? Well, it's interesting. You know, they they had said no in recent times, but I wonder if this year might persuade them to change their mind because, you know, the pandemic really accelerated this trend toward some players opting out of playing in the postseason, especially because these, you know, these non-playoff bowls are increasingly meaningless. And so, I think if you expand the playoff, you just simply spread the number of bowls that are really viable in terms of national attention. And you might motivate some of those star players to stay around and, you know, sort of make the whole postseason more interesting. Yeah, challenging year indeed with the pandemic. You alluded to this earlier, but are people still watching the playoff games in big numbers? And what about the non-playoff bowl games? Do people even care about those? Well, that's a great question. In fact, the, the championship game is as well watched as ever, you know, during the BCS um, and now it's the ratings are about the same, about 26 million people, which is a great audience. But the non-playoff bowls ratings have really dropped off. And um, the one with one exception kind of being the Rose Bowl when it's not a playoff game. Um, but the other bowls really have declined in audience. And I think that's because people realize, you know, th- these bowls are not as significant. If you're not in the playoff, you're really not a member of this tiny elite. Well, we know now it'll be Ohio State taking on Alabama down in Miami this coming Monday night. Rachel, which team hoists the trophy? <laughs> well, I think, um, like most years, Alabama is a team to beat. And uh, as I mentioned in the story, you know, Alabama used to have one tiny flaw, which was kind of a below-average kicking game. This year, they've got a kicker, Will Reichard, who has not missed. Alabama's the odds-on favorite. The Wall Street Journal's Rachel Bachman. Rachel, thanks for talking, and Happy New Year. Thanks so much. You too. Well, Chad, hey, that's great stuff. Uh, Rachel's on top of it, and I agree with uh, her 100%. Uh, really good stuff. And Alabama, they're loaded. They now have a Heisman Trophy winner in Devontae Smith as of last night. Uh, it would be interesting to get her take. Of course, you didn't know it at the time you talked to her. Um, but I'll ask you, what about Justin Fields and the story coming out about him taking a shot, yeah. uh, a, a Novocaine shot or whatever, a painkiller shot in the tent on the sidelines without x-rays? Uh, man, I, I'm just not not knowing yeah. about that. I don't know what the rules are about that, but, uh, I mean, he's a gamer, obviously. He wanted to be out there, and uh, he was okay with it. And, you know, he fought through it, played well, got his team the victory. We still don't know what kind of shape he's in for the championship game, but he's going to play, of course. We know that. Well, I mean, he he played the game of his life. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, and, and if you listen to the experts, he climbed himself up the draft board incredibly, made himself a whole ton of money probably. Uh, but, man, you know – what if something really went wrong with him 
and, and maybe it did. Maybe he's got broken ribs. Uh, who knows? But, uh, man, it just seems like such a risk to put a college kid in that, um, you know, if you're a pro and that's your, your deal, um, that's a little different. It is. Uh, I'm sure you'll be watching the game. That'll happen before our next show. You got to go with Bama, right? Yeah, just too much on the offensive side. But I'll tell you what, Ohio State's going to compete. Ohio yeah. State can play. And and what they did to Clemson did not really surprise me. Uh, you know, Justin Fields played better than I expected. But uh, Ohio State's good. And uh, that's why I didn't have too much argument about them not getting into the or, or getting into the Big Ten championship mm -hmm. because they were the best team in the Big Ten. Yeah. Yep. All right, uh, Chet, you're our buddy from the Edge of Philly Sports, uh, Freddie Burns, isn't with us tonight to gloat or defend himself <laughs> on the yearly predictions. So tell us, who won last week and who won for the season? And I can tell by the little smirk on your face that you <laughs> must have pulled it out. Well, as you may recall, Bill, we went into the final weekend of the regular season with yours truly somehow holding a one-game lead over Freddie. He's the defending champ, by the way. And we had four different picks of the five that we made. And, well, unfortunately for Fred, I correctly picked three of those four different games, including Washington over the Eagles. So I went four and one. He went two and three. So I ended up winning the mythical championship by three games over Fred. By the way, last year, Fred edged out you by one game. So uh, we got to get you back into this next year, Bill. Uh, but yeah, I took the prize this year and I will gladly accept the trophy and the $10,000 prize that goes with it. No problem, Chet. You <laughs> wait for that in the mail, but you can get a cup of coffee at the Wawa uh, tomorrow you? on your way to work. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right. Good job. It, it was a lot of fun and uh, yeah. always enjoy Fred being with us and we'll do it some more. All right, Jet, let's give a shout out to our partners over there at the Edge of Philly Sports Network and their shows. You can check them out. The Broad Street Bully Podcast, Drew, Jeff, and Doyle talking Flyers hockey, which is going to be getting cranked up real soon. Matter of fact, one week from tonight. Birds IQ every Monday, 7 p.m. with Kyle and Eric Quinn talking Eagles football and reacting to the birds. Edge of Philly Sports Live, Joe, Freddie, Big Al, cover four for four and so much more. Philly Sports. Watch them live. They'll be on tonight, Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And join Tom Kelly and the gang at Patterson Avenue Fanatics Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. They're talking all things Philly Sports. You can check out all the shows at www.eopsports.com. Help us out by hitting those subscribe, follow, like buttons, and as always, share with your friends and family. Hang on, Bill. I forgot to tell you, but we're doing a new segment right now. Uh, didn't tell you about this because I just totally forgot. Um, I've decided to debut a brand new segment that I'm going to try to do weekly in which I will formally name soon, maybe tonight. Here's the deal. I'm going to show off something different every week or talk about something different every week. And in this particular case, this is the debut album from Aerosmith. It happened to be released 48 Years ago, yesterday, it wasn't an immediate hit, except in Boston, their hometown, but did get lots of attention two and a half years later after the song Dream On got re-released nationally and did very, very well after their second and third albums had already come out. Now, another thing, Bill, I just discovered today, Frampton Comes Alive, out 45 years ago today. Boy, how often did you and I listen to this? I didn't know you, but in 1976 that summer, what a smash. 
1976 and 77. I was at that JFK concert both those years when Frampton came alive. He did. And now we need to name this segment, okay? So I've narrowed it down to four possibilities. We're going to go with Piece of Chet. Chet happens. Chet <laughs> just got real or random Chet. What do you think? Well, I don't know really what you have in store for all this, so I'm going to go with random Chet. That's good, because, yeah, we talk about random stuff all the time, and rather than make it a parting shot, I'm just going to throw it in at some point during the show every week. Random Chet it is. My buddy Denny always says this one expression that I eliminated. Ain't that some, you know. (laughs) So I was going to go, ain't that some Chet, but no, we'll eliminate that one. Yeah. Carry on, Bill. All right. Carry on. Hey, uh, Chet, we did mention the Sixers opened up. They're six and one. They're rolling, and uh, they're making it look a little bit easy when uh, when the big guy decides to play. <laughs> six and zero oh when the big guy is playing. Uh, yeah, they're looking real good. Tobias Harris, after a bad first game, maybe part of the second game, he has been great. He was the Eastern Conference Player of the Week last week. He's uh, shooting well. The team is looking really good with their their spacing and the you know the passing and everything. Ben Simmons did make one three-pointer uh, so far this year. He's on a pace for 10. I don't think that's going to happen, but <laughs> you never know. So, so far, so good. The one one thing I've noticed is uh, before last night's games, I didn't look at it after last night's games, uh, the Sixers lead the league in defense, lead the league in least points given up. Uh, yeah, game. I know they were first or second as far as points per game. Yep, that's yeah. You're gonna so you're that's gonna, good. Gonna, I mean, defense obviously is is a big plus. Defense wins championships. Don't forget it. I heard that somewhere. Yeah, it's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And don't How about apologize the flyers, Bill for flyers. winning. By the way, you ever hear uh, that? Ah, there it is. Don't All apologize right. for winning. Yes, yeah, that's right. Okay, Chad. Flyers, as we said, they open up exactly one week from tonight, which means a schedule change for us. What's going on, and uh, who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next? Well, first, regarding the Flyers, before I tell you about that, uh, as we discussed, they have that 56-game schedule. They do drop the puck on it next week, eight games against seven different teams all locally. But I have to ask, did you hear that the NHL for this year has just made deals with sponsors to brand the four realigned divisions? I just saw that yesterday. And uh, the North Division will be branded by Scotia Bank, the Central Division by Discover, uh, the West Division by Honda and the East Division that the Flyers will be in will be the Mass Mutual East <laughs> Division. This is, I swear to God, this is legitimate. Uh, it's just a one-year deal, and it's because of the pandemic and the money they lost. They are getting money that way, and there will also be sponsor logos on several teams' helmets this year. I don't know that the Flyers are doing it, but at least eight teams are. The Pittsburgh Penguins, for example, will have a PPG logo on each side of their helmets, just like the PPG arena that they play in. How are you feeling about that, Bill? Um... <laughs> No. What, what's the name of that division? I can't even say that. A Mass Mutual. Is that an insurance company? I guess it is. Yeah, uh, Mass Mutual East Division. So you know, I, I guess money is what money is. And we got uh, used to the things on the, the the sideboards and you know everywhere else, the little things that are overlaid, you know, you get used to it, but right. Well, pretty soon they'll look like NASCARs, you know, yeah. and they'll have they'll have stickers all over them. But yeah. you know, I I, you know, it's, it's business and, uh, we all, we've talked about this with the other sports. They're all losing money and, uh, I guess they have to figure out a way to get money. So uh, yeah, it is what it is. 
Yep. Oh, and as regarding next week's show, Bill, uh, speaking of flyers and hockey and all that, we will be on next Tuesday instead of Wednesday evening. So Tuesday at seven, that's because the flyers dropped the puck a week from tonight with a 5.30 p.m. start, part of a triple header on television. And this is something you're going to love, Bill. We are going to be joined next Tuesday at seven by a first time visitor to our show. We are talking about a former Flyers defenseman, Bundy, or if you prefer, Chris Terrian. So how about that, Bill? Nice, nice, and uh, great. I, I couldn't be happier with that. That's good stuff. There you go. Good stuff. All right. Um, Irish Rover? Irish, Irish Rover. I was going to go – I had another Flyer comment for you, but I'll – I was going to go post-game post uh, live with Darren uh, Hatcher and Scott Hartnell this year. Yes, uh, Katie won't be there anymore. Bundy won't be there anymore. Bundy's got some other things going on. Um, I liked Katie Emmer too, man. She, you know, Minnesota gal and did a great job, and now they let her go. But that's NBC Sports Philly and the industry for you. Uh, the Irish Rover, though, is what you were saying. Let's yes. talking about that. Oh, I just lost something there. Let's uh, here we go. Yeah, I'm happy for the gang at the Rover, Chris and Terry, Tracy and company. And if you're watching via video, you can see that, yes, the Irish Rover in Langhorn, Pennsylvania, which was closed the past week and a half, is open again. As of today, they are open Wednesday through Sunday. If you're looking at the screen, you can see that they're open Wednesday and Thursday, 3 to 9, Friday and Saturday. 12 till 11 p.m. And then Sunday from noon till 9 p.m. Indoor dining with state mandated capacity limits, of course, as well as takeout available. Still the great menu and a terrific menu of craft beers. Also, they have friendly masked servers and just a great local business. Check them out. The Irish Rover is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Find them on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. All right. Good for them. Uh, hopefully they've weathered this storm and, uh, you know, we can get back in business, that's for sure. I'll be over there soon, yes. All right. Hey, Chet, spring training right around the corner, as we said. No idea if fans are allowed in the games in Clearwater or in Philadelphia, for that matter. Florida is generally open for business, but the leagues have been restricting attendance. Uh, you going to Clearwater? Boy, I, I would love to. I certainly want to. Unless unless you know the details, you know, we're going to have to find out about uh, the crowds. And uh, I know our buddy Carl said he thought maybe 25%. I don't know if that's just hearsay or if he's talked to somebody. Um, I'm sure there will be attendance limits for sure. I absolutely hope to get down there in mid or late March. And I'm guessing you will be there. Is that correct? I will. <laughs> I will. The, the, uh, the original press box will be open by then. <laughs> yeah, the Florida base. I know. That's right. Well, you know, Chet, one thing about uh, Florida and what they have going on is uh, they're open for business and they're will willing to let people into these Tampa Bay Buccaneers games and all that. The NFL is the one that decided that they would not do it. It wasn't the state of Florida. So um, the same in NASCAR, the Daytona 500 always happens in, in February. And unless it's changed, they are fully open. Uh, that could be a hundred and some odd thousand people hmm. in, in that building or stadium, arena, whatever you want to call it. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what Major League Baseball decides to do because I think it, from the local standpoint, they'll be able to be open. It's whether the league decides they want to be open. Going to be interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Absolutely. All right. Let's take uh, another quick break and thank our friends at the PPCC 118 Raz Room. 
They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They continue to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. They have 11 line rises, mystery boxes, and now a memorabilia shop. You can just go straight in and buy. Check out their Facebook page. Like them or follow them. It's PPCC118 Razroom and PPCC118 Razroom Shop on Facebook. All right, Jed, how about a parting shot or did you already give it? Oh, no, I got a parting shot for you, Bill. Uh, we talked last week about the dozens of sports greats that we lost in 2020. And sadly, 2021 hasn't gotten off to a good start on that front. As we found out on Saturday, in fact, we found out within a couple of hours that we lost two more Hall of Famers, running back Floyd Little of Syracuse Orange and Denver Broncos fame and pro basketball star and former coach, Paul Westfall. So sad to hear the passing of a couple of more legends, and hopefully this won't be as bad a year as last year on that front. Second thing, Bill, I love the first couple of weekends of the NFL playoffs every year. And this year, you know, it's not just wild card weekend. It is super wild card weekend. They have three games Saturday and three games on Sunday. And so I fully expect to hear this from a certain female in my house at least a couple of times this weekend. Are you just going to sit and watch football all day? To which I'll respond, it actually goes till about 1130 tonight. But yes, dear. Yes. <laughs> well, hey, talking about the playoffs, got to throw this out. What do you think about the fact that Cleveland's got to go into a game without their head coach, without a couple position coaches, without a couple players? They've got COVID. They're out. Um you know, teams got breaks during the season. Uh, Cleveland's not getting a break. They're going to go into this thing shorthanded. And for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a long time, um, and they got a pretty nice club, they got a chance of winning a game, uh, they're in trouble now. Yeah, uh, I do feel badly for them. But, I mean, it, yeah, it is the playoff times. You can't be moving the schedule around and playing like a Tuesday game because, you know, the winner would have to play again the following weekend. That would be unfair. So now you just got to deal with the consequences. But I'll tell you this, I'm glad I put a little money on the Steelers yesterday. Yeah, well, <laughs> I did. I, I don't know about the, I don't know about the fairness, but all is not fair and love and war. So exactly. I guess it, it is what it is. You'll all be right. watching. I'll be watching. I can't wait. All right. Anything else for you before we wrap it up? No, nah, I'm hungry. Let's wrap it up. All right, let's thank <laughs> our special guest, Ray Didiger, Rachel Bachman, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LakeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio Tuesday night, Tuesday night, January 12th at 7 p.m. You can see us live on Facebook or listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com on blogtalkradio.com slash Radio, and on Google Podcasts as well as Apple Podcasts and others. So with that, high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. 